This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from the eye of the storm in Tallahassee, which, as any Floridian can tell you, is deceptively calm and peaceful right before you get blown away. Supporters of new restrictions on firearms take aim at Florida Senator Rick Scott, and he's not the only one in their crosshairs. A national organization called Support Working Animals files a lawsuit challenging Florida's constitutional amendment that is shutting down the greyhound racing industry. They want the amendment overturned. However, the Florida Greyhound Association does not support the lawsuit. Former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Kotkamp will tell you why. A new state task force that only comes around once every four years is back in business. Their job, efficiency in state government. They'll be looking at everything from red tape and welfare to water policy. As a federal judge in Tallahassee, here's a lawsuit over Amendment 4, the one restoring voter rights to former felons. A new survey shows most Floridians agree with a law passed by the legislature this year, saying rights should not be restored until former inmates have paid all their fees and fines and made restitution to their victims. We'll also have your calendar of events and the latest installment of Florida Man, featuring a fiery meth head, a beer-swilling gator, and a man flinging live lobsters. Now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, October 9th. Supporters of new restrictions on guns are taking aim at Florida Senator Rick Scott. A group called Every Town for Gun Safety, which is financed by billionaire and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, says it will spend $200,000 on digital advertising against Republican senators in Florida and nine other states. There's also an event in Orlando today organized by another gun control group called Moms Demand Action. Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy and survivors of gun violence are urging Marco Rubio and Senator Scott to vote on gun control bills in the Senate that have already passed the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. Representatives. Good luck with that. Next on Sunrise, a conversation with former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Kotkamp, who is now a lobbyist for the Greyhound industry in Tallahassee in Florida. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Pleasure to have you here, and thanks for coming in. Now, there's a big story in the Orlando Sentinel about a new lawsuit targeting the state of Florida and Amendment 13, trying to overturn it. They basically claim that the amendment is putting people out of work with no public policy reason. Uh, this is not the Florida Greyhound Association. Am I correct on that? Correct. And why is why is the Greyhound Association not taking that tack? Well, uh, this is a different group altogether. And honestly, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at, at their filing. But I will tell you that generally it's pretty difficult to get a federal court to overturn a, an amendment of a state constitution uh, the approach that we took was far different. The approach we took was on behalf, uh, the first case at least, on behalf of a, a, a dog owner uh, uh, as a regulatory taking. So this is a taking of property without just compensation. That's the claim uh, that we have filed. So the Greyhound Association in Florida is suing, but it's not to overturn the amendment. It's just to compensate the, the breeders. Right. And, and you the know, tracks. the position is pretty simple, and it's, there's lots of case law on this when government takes your property, and there's a more uh, recent case, Horn versus uh, the Department of Agriculture, in 2015, where the U.S. Supreme Court said uh, that the takings clause applies also to personal property, not just to real property. And and that's the the basic gist of the suit that we have filed uh, in circuit court. Okay. What has been the impact on the Florida greyhound industry since the passage of Amendment 13? Well, of course, it's been devastating. You've had uh, a number of, of... of the tracks have already stopped racing. And so the people that have made their livelihood at those tracks, some three, four, fifth generation uh, in, in the uh, Greyhound racing business, and I f- now find themselves uh, completely out of work, find themselves in the case of dog owners who have invested 
hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars uh, for racing greyhounds and find no value uh, left to their property. So uh, not surprisingly, if you put an industry out of work that in the people that have done it their entire life, uh, it's been very uh, devastating financially for these folks. What kind of compensation do you think would be required to make this right for the greyhound folks? Well, you have to look at... Um, We've got estimates somewhere between eight and 15,000 greyhound, greyhound racing dogs alone, and those, uh, the value of those kind of depends, but the baseline is going to be at least $10,000 a dog, so that's substantial there. You've got people that have uh, farms where they have raised uh, greyhounds, and they've invested thousands and thousands of dollars uh, for, for the facilities, and uh, it's millions and millions of dollars. I'll just say that. And I think that we have a model for this. And frankly, it would be great if, if the legislature could take the lead on this and we wouldn't have to resort to litigation. And, and the model was when we passed the net ban uh, in the 90s and the legislature uh, stepped up and created a compensation fund for the fishermen and also set aside some money for retraining. So those that were uh, put out of business, had a way uh, to develop skills to get into another line of work. And that would be a great way to really handle this, um, give people the option, say, if you want to go to court, great. But if you want to uh, go bypass that and, and tap into this compensation fund and get some retraining, we'll make that available. Okay. And regardless of whether or not this new lawsuit succeeds, do you think greyhound racing is pretty much on the way out for good, at least in America? Well, in Florida, where we're the leader, and you know, they still have a few other states where this is uh, popular. And actually, there's been a couple of places around the world where they got rid of it and brought it back because it was actually uh, very popular. So I don't know the answer to that. I know in Florida, uh, we seem to be moving on, although interestingly, you know, the constitutional man amendment only bets bans the betting on the greyhound racing. It doesn't prohibit racing of dogs, and yet it's supposedly, uh, by the verbiage, is uh, inhumane. So you think if we were going to ban it, we'd ban it whether people were betting on it or not. Understood. Thank you for joining us today, Governor Kotkamp. Oh, great to be with you. Former Senate President Mike Herodopoulos is back in print. He teamed up with former State Representative Pete Dunbar to write a book called The Modern Republican Party in Florida. Now, the GOP used to be the minority party, and this book tells the story of how they assumed control of state government thanks to a population boom and a split in the Democratic Party. The book is available weekend after next. If you want the hardcover, it'll set you back about $33.20. Back in 2006, Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment creating a statewide government efficiency task force that would meet once every four years. And it's time. The latest version just held its first meeting. Members of the group have all sorts of ideas. Sal Nuzzo with a conservative think tank called the James Madison Institute wants them to dive into the issue of whether government benefits and regulations discourage people from entering the job market. Government services at some uh, level at times provide barriers to individuals uh, getting opportunities to become employed and gainfully uh, become members of, of, of society. And so we can look at areas in which things like regulatory systems and licensing systems are uh, kind of uh, providing onerous barriers to employment and ways in which we can kind of streamline that. Attorney Keith Wald says water quality will be his big issue. He thinks there are too many agencies that have a say in water policy, and he wants it all centralized in one state entity. He also wants to get the Army Corps of Engineers out of the mix. We should encourage that agency 
to file and pursue uh, applications for taking over jurisdiction from federal agencies who are currently managing those same issues. I uh, specifically look at the opportunity for the Army Corps of Engineers uh, that has been in the state for more than 70 years. All of those functions could be handled by state agencies, and there's no reason why the, uh, depart uh, why the Army Corps of Engineers is still here. We have the ability to, to handle all of those functions. State Representative Jason Fisher of Jacksonville is also serving on the task force. He kicked things off with this rather unique observation. My idea of a perfect government is one guy in a small room sitting at a desk, and the only thing he's allowed to decide is who to nuke. It's Ron Swanson. Um, now, my idea of government efficiency uh, isn't that. Um, uh, that's a little too efficient, uh, but uh, much, much more aligned with the spirit of small, limited government that is very efficient. My views on, on government are a very limited, uh, streamlined role. Uh, that's a little, little too much for me there, but the point that I was trying to make is that uh, my goal here is to try to make us as efficient as possible, both in the, the time that we spend doing this, but, but in how we operate as a government and then how we communicate um, what we do as the state of Florida to, um, to the citizens of Florida and, and, and how do we make their lives and um, in their interactions with government more effective and efficient. This meeting was just the start because the Government Efficiency Task Force has one year to do its job, which kind of sounds a bit inefficient, don't you think? Up next on Sunrise, a conversation about Amendment 4. That's the amendment that was basically called the Second Chances Amendment. It says that if you're a former felon in Florida and you've served your time and paid your debt to society, your civil rights, including your right to vote, should be restored. Now, that issue is being debated Right now at a federal courthouse in Tallahassee, it's being challenged by a group of, well, let's voting rights advocates, civil rights advocates who say the law in Florida is way too restrictive for Amendment 4. Now, the real question before the court is, what is the voters' intent? And if we could answer that question, we'd know a whole lot more about how this would work out. And to help answer that question, we have Karen Seifer here. She's with Ron Sachs Media, and she has done a poll on public attitudes about Amendment 4 and why people support it and why they didn't. Welcome, Karen. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So tell me what you found in your poll. Well, we surveyed 1,100 Florida voters uh, trying to get a better sense of what people believe the terms all terms of sentence means. Uh, it's very possible that when folks were voting on Amendment 4, this wasn't the first thing on their mind, whether the amendment included or did not include any requirement to pay back fines or restitution. Okay. But we wanted to find out if that was clear to people and once made clear how they would vote if they could do it again. So uh, what we found is overwhelmingly people do believe that all terms of a sentence includes fines, fees, and restitution. Okay, so not just fines and fees, but also restitution Correct. to pay back the, the victim of the crime. Correct. In fact, uh, when presented with material relating to restitution specifically, uh, the support for including that nearly doubles. Ah. So that would seem to validate the, the case made by the Florida legislature when they passed Senate Bill 7066 that basically said all those debts are included Correct. as part of the deal. Right. And uh, what did you see any interesting demographic trends like who was in favor, who was against or, or was this like across the board? Sure. Well, as far as, you know, let me explain how we how we did the survey first uh, to give it some context. The first question we asked used an experimental design. So the 1,100 people were divided into three groups, and each person randomly received one of three different messages. They either saw that the person had been sentenced to time plus fines, time plus restitution, uh, or time plus fines, having paid some of it. 
the reason for doing that was to better understand if the difference between fines and restitution was meaningful. Okay. And it was. Uh, in this first question, we did not reference amend Amendment 4 at all. We wanted to find out, in general terms, what does all terms of a sentence imply to people? In the final question, however, we asked folks to uh, clarify how they would want the Florida Supreme Court to interpret those words, whether it should be time only or time plus restitution and fines. And in fact, uh, the overwhelming majority did say uh, time plus fines. Uh, that, that equaled 78% uh, overall. Wow. It broke down pretty steeply by party. 37% uh, of Democrats uh, said prison time only compared to 23% of nonpartisans and 7% of Republicans. Uh, but that said- They're all on the same all, side. They're all on the same side. Yeah. Nice. Would, if, if someone who isn't familiar with surveys was looking at this, what would you want them to take away from your study? Uh, you know, I think, first of all, uh, this survey was not intended to debate the rightness or wrongness of requiring payment of fines for, for voting rights. The question was, when the legislature was handed the constitutional amendment to implement, did they interpret it the way Floridians intended um, or to the accuracy of the words that were written? And so that, that was the sole focus of this survey. And I, and I believe these results say that, yes, the legislature acted in good faith. Okay. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Karen Seifer with Sachs Media. Thanks for joining us today, Karen. Thank you so much. On the agenda today, the Florida Commission on Offender Review will start two days of meetings in Manatee County. It starts at 9 at the Sheriff's Office in Bradenton. Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy and victims of gun violence are holding an event in Orlando today where they will urge Florida Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott to take up gun bills that have already been approved by the House. The Central Florida Regional Planning Council meets this morning at the Okeechobee County Courthouse. The Florida DOT holding a workshop on I-195 corridor planning. That's at Roberto Clemente Park in Miami. The Nassau County Legislative Delegation meets at 4 this afternoon, prepping for the 2020 session. They're at the Nassau County Commission Chamber in Yuli. And the Florida Supreme Court is closed today in honor of Yom Kippur. Time now for the continuing misadventures of Florida Man. A Florida man is busted for assault with crustaceans in Miami-Dade County. Witnesses say a drunk carrying a duffel bag filled with 24 live lobsters was whipping the shellfish at pedestrians, several of whom ended up being treated at a nearby hospital. The guy told police he did it because he lost everything in the stock market. The man was a former hedge fund manager who lost all of his clients' money on fake meat and cryptocurrency. A Florida man is accused of forcing beer down the throat of a gator. 27-year-old Timothy Kepke was done in by his own video. His buddy grabbed the gator with his bare hands in Palm City, and Kepke poured the suds into its mouth before releasing it. The State Wildlife Commission got a copy of that video, and he confessed to the crime. He told police he had a few beers but wasn't drunk. He also admitted the gator bit him. And the Florida woman who attracted national attention when she burned down a historic tree in Seminole County while smoking methamphetamine has been arrested again on a drug trafficking charge. Deputies say they found 38 grams of meth at Sarah Barnes' home in Altamont Springs. Now, back in 2012, Barnes climbed inside the hollow of a 3,500-year-old cypress tree at Big Tree Park in Longwood to smoke meth with a friend and lit a fire so she could see better. The flames spread and destroyed the 120-foot tree that was known as the Senator. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Back again tomorrow.